the greatest name of all. Um, and obviously from the music we've sung this morning, uh, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out whose name we're talking about. Um, it's the name of Jesus. And uh, I just want us to uh, focus a little bit on his name this morning as we prepare our hearts for the holiday season. If you follow literature at all, you remember the, the question that Juliet asked Romeo. What's in a name? Remember that? And she then answered her own question by saying this, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Now, personally, that's great if you're a rose. <laughs> but we're not. We're people, right? And, uh, you know, it makes a, a difference what people call us. I don't know, you know, if you've gone through your life with maybe a name that you don't appreciate. Um, sometimes that happens. Um, sometimes people go through a whole life with a name they don't care for, they don't like. You remember the song by Johnny Cash, A Boy Named Sue. All right, And the story of that song basically says that there was this dad who named his son Sue just so he would be tough after he got, you know, dealing with all the people that would beat him up and pick on him all his life because his name was Sue. Um, maybe you got stuck with a name you particularly don't appreciate. Or maybe you had one of those nicknames, you know. Um, I had a nickname growing up. I don't know if many of you know what it is, but um, I don't know why, but my oldest, not my oldest brother, my brother John, who's passed away, and, and my brother uh, Paulie, who's a, a pastor, and Rick, they, they all called me by this name, and I never really asked them why. The name was Hunky. I don't know why. H-U-N-K-Y. Hunky. Hey, Hunky, come here. And I just would respond. Yeah, what do you want? Yeah. I mean, that's not a, you know, I mean, it was fine when I was little. You know, my grandson's age six, seven. But, you know, when you start your preteen years and you start to have an interest in girls and whatnot and your brother's calling you hunky, you know, what do he call you? I mean, can you imagine? Um, now, today it might be chunky, but it's not. It was hunky, okay? That was the name for me. But uh, so it's, you know, it's sometimes we, we get stuck with those kind of names. And you think sometimes that as parents... Have you ever met with parents who are going to have a child? I mean, they're just fanatical about the name. They're going through books. They're searching the Internet. They're looking in the Bible. What does this name mean? What does that name mean? And they're just going crazy. And finally, they, they've arrived. They've found the name for their blessed child, John or whatever. But then they nickname him something weird. You know, they don't use the name they actually spent all that time giving him. They, they come up with something kind of crazy, some ridiculous name. And there's a psychologist by uh, the name of Cleveland Evans of Nebraska Bellevue University. And she says this, names tell you more about the parents than they do about the kids. And you stop and think about that. That's true. They reveal their values, their goals for their children. Some of you may remember that children or parents who lived during the 60s and they're living in communes and it was the peace movement and hippie lifestyle and all that stuff. You can tell when a child was named during that period. You know, they, they come up with names like Gravy, Fender, Sunshine, Carrot, Morning, Doobie, all sorts of weird names for their kids. It's also interesting how each, it seems, generation does their own job to kind of come up with their fad of naming kids. My dad's name was James. My mother's name was Dorothy. They came from a certain generation. All of my brothers and sisters were named Steve and, and uh, Mary, and Sue Ellen was probably the only odd one. Everybody else, Tom, Rick, Jim, Bob, you know, just basic names. If you look at in the papers and you see guys passing away in their 70s or 80s, they're probably going to be named Fred or Seymour or Hubert or Willard. Just names like that. It's, it's just interesting how things like that happen. And today, you know, you, you have popular names for girls like Ashley, Haley, Madison, Caitlin, all those kind of a thing. 
And then for boys, it's Christopher, Mason, Andrew, Joshua, uh, Jacob, all those kind of names. And it's interesting when you name a girl, sometimes you can name that girl after uh, something like a, a, a certain virtue, you know, faith or grace or charity or hope. And they're also, they get named after things like stones, amber, jade, diamond, crystal. Our daughter's named Crystal. Well, why did you name her Crystal? Just curious. I never asked you. And now that I'm thinking about it, I should have asked you this week and maybe led to another illustration. But, but with boys, it's more geographical, it seems like. You know, the, the guys get names like Dallas or Dakota or Texas or, you know, kind of different names like that. But there's actually names throughout. These are actual names that parents named their kids. And they played off their last name with their first name. And see if you can, you know, kind of chuckle at some of these. The first one was Paige Turner. Warren Peace. These are actual names, by the way. Uh, How about Justin Case? (laughs) Or Carl Arm. Got to kind of say it a little faster. Carl Arm. Carl Arm. (laughs) Or this one. I like this one because I like what it represents. Chris B. Bacon. (laughs) Or how about this poor gal? Eileen Dover. (laughs) Or Cell Poole. These are all actual names that parents named their kids. Now, back in biblical times, you have to remember that names were often uh, given to describe events or, or the things that took place during the actual child's birth. You remember Adam was the first man named. He came out of the earth, which that's where his name, what his name means, basically, because he's formed of the dust of the ground. And you remember the story in Genesis about Jacob and Esau. And how they were named. Esau was uh, hairy, and so they named him Esau, which means hairy. And his brother was born immediately afterwards, and he came out holding on to Esau's heel, which Jacob means heel grabber. So maybe he would be a good defensive player one day or something. I don't know. Heel grabber. In the book of Judges, you read about a story. There was a, a pregnant woman who got word that Israel's army had been defeated by the Philistines. And the ark had been taken and she was just so distraught. She was so shocked over this event that she immediately began to give birth to her child. And she died in the process. And she named her baby boy before she passed away, Ichabod. Which means the glory has departed. What a horrible thing to do to an innocent child. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, I'd think twice if my, my, my nephew or my, my, my grandson, Mason, or Sophia said, oh, our friend's coming over. Oh, who's that? Ichabod. I'd be like, whoa, what are you playing with that kind of kid for? That'd just be kind of scary. And then sometimes in the, in the scriptures, as was the case with Mary and Joseph, really they had no choice as to what their child would be called because God gave them a edict. He gave them a mandate. He said, hey, here's what the child's going to be called. And that's what we see in Matthew one twenty one. Uh, Mary says, uh, the the Bible says, will bring forth a son and you shall call his name what? Jesus, right? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that word Jesus, that name Jesus, Joshua in the Old Testament, really means Jehovah is salvation. That's what that means. And the Bible says that it's a name above every name. And you stop and think about it. It's the name that really divides human time. Every time you date a check, you're, you're acknowledging the birth of Christ. It's the name which the Bible says, as we read this morning, at one point in time, everyone in the world will bow. Everyone will give honor to that name. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 2. But there's a lot to be discovered about the name of Jesus. I mean, you could spend an eternity looking at his name and discovering the different wonders and majesties of that name. But if you turn over to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 9, very familiar passage to most of us. We could probably quote it um, in our sleep. 
But I want to look at it this morning because these were words that were penned 700 years before the birth of Christ. And in this prophetic passage, which is often cited at Christmas time, Isaiah gives a glimpse into just the majesty and the, 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 the awesomeness of the name of Christ. In each of these names that Isaiah gives to Christ, he basically is telling us of an attribute of God. And so read along with me as you, you look in your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, let's just read that passage together. Just verse 6. Let's read it together. Ready? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, all of that that we just read describes our blessed Lord. You look at verse 6 there, it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, the story of Jesus Christ coming into this world is not so much about the story of a, of a birth. I mean, that's one aspect of it. But it's really the story of a gift that was given to us by God, as we looked at last week, at God's incredible, indescribable gift. See, it was the entrance of Jesus to this planet Earth. That was what it was all about. But stop and think about it this way. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate Jesus coming to Earth at Christmas time. But for God, for the Father, it was the departure of His only Son from heaven. First time ever. It was a Son given to us, the Bible says. See, the first Christmas was not a gift to a child. It was the gift, what? Of a child. It was the gift of a child. Jesus said himself, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Because Jesus was born into the human race in Bethlehem, we sometimes think of that event as his entrance into the universe. (laughs) Well, that's when his existence started. Well, no. We need to understand the birth of Jesus was not his beginning. Most of us understand that. But rather, it was his entrance into this space and time of this world that we know and all the limitations that it possesses. He came as the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. And because Jesus himself is God, he had no beginning. Along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, He always was, without beginning or end. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it tells us that, speaking of the Messiah, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That He's always been around. It's even more mind-boggling to me that when you stop and think about it, God not only became a man, He first became an embryo in Mary's womb. I mean, isn't that amazing? The very God that created everything became an embryo in Mary's womb. And then like every other baby, he was carried full term and he was born in a natural way, in a stable. And it probably wasn't sweet smelling hay that was there and straw and everything. It probably smelled like a stable. It probably smelled like feces and urine. It wasn't a pleasant place because we remember there was no room for him in the inn. I mean, it'd be similar to someone coming to your house who's great with child and saying, you know what, we don't have any insurance and it's freezing outside and is there any way that, you know, we could use one of your bedrooms? I think my wife's about ready to give birth. It'd be kind of like you saying, well, you know what, the house is full right now, 
But if you go in the back, there's a shed. And there's a couple dogs there, but I mean, I'm sure you'll be fine back there. See, we don't think of it that way. But that's really what it was. And when Jesus was born, he was a baby like every other baby. <clears throat> he didn't have a halo. He wasn't born fully developed, ready to speak. The Bible never tells us that after he was born, he looked at Joseph and Mary and said, Hi, Joseph and Mary. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, Jesus Christ. Nice to meet you. But, uh, you know, I got a lot of busy, enough, busy stuff to do in ministry, so I'll, I'll just see you later. And he gets up and walks away. That's not what happened. He was a little baby. They had to change his diaper. They had to teach him how to walk, how to talk. He was totally dependent on his mother, Mary, for her nourishment, for his nourishment from his mother. He grew up like any other child, yet he was without sin, the Bible says. And yet he was truly God in human form. I mean, I don't know if you can understand that. I can't. I mean, you think about it, the more you think about it, the more your brain hurts. And Isaiah continues there. And he says, You shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each one of those descriptions basically deals with an important part of our lives. And Warren Wiersbe in his book, His Name is Wonderful, basically outlined it this way. First of all, his name is wonderful. Go ahead and forward there. Uh, his name is wonderful, and that takes care of the dullness of life. Okay? The dullness of life. In other words, we no longer have to look at the world for its shallow excitement and cheap substitutes for our fulfillment. Jesus Christ makes life wonderful, or it should. He should. Secondly, he gives the name Counselor. And Warren Wiersbe says, well, that takes care of the decisions of life. You're no longer going to be baffled by the problems of life wondering what step to take next. If Jesus Christ is your Counselor, we have the wisdom we need and we make decisions both great and small based on his counsel, on his advice, on what we find in his word each day. He goes on, his name is Mighty God. That takes care of the demands of life. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed with all that life dishes out to us on a daily basis. But we never should forget that no matter what we face, we're linked to the mighty God through Jesus Christ, the all-powerful Lord. Scripture reminds us in Philippians that we can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens us. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. So when you're facing that wall, remember that. It's the mighty God. And then the everlasting Father. He takes care of the future. He's looking out for our behalf. We know that He's everlasting, that Christians will spend eternity with Him. We don't have to be afraid of death. Because we know we'll be in His presence through the blood of Christ. And then the last little segment of his outline, he names the Prince of Peace, and he says that takes care of the disturbances of life. I mean, we live in frightening times. We live in troubled times. But you have to remember that with Christ as the center of our being, we can know a peace that the Bible says is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand or comprehend. I just want to spend a little time talking about each one of these elements. First of all, his name is wonderful. It comes out of the root word having to deal with wonder. There's a man by the name of Bertrand Russell, and he claims that at least half of the sins of humankind were caused by the fear of boredom. I mean, you live in a society, we live in a society that's so technologically advanced, beloved. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with technology nowadays. Doug just gave me a little email the other day, and he said, you know, I know you don't have an iPhone, but do you know that with this free download, this software, you can put it on your iTouch iPod, 
and you can actually use it as a phone. Free. Totally free. The software, well, you can have the iPod, that's not free. But after you got that, the iTouch iPod, you can install this and you can use it as a phone. That amazes me. I mean, we have so much going on around us. There's always new discoveries. And it's kind of almost like somebody just put your mouth up to a fire hydrant and said, oh, are you thirsty? Because it's just overwhelming at times. I mean, stop and think about it. We got TVs, we got CDs, we got DVDs, we got DVD RWs, we got MP3 players, iPods, iPhones, PDAs. We got flat panels, LCDs, we got the plasmas. We got the DLPs. We got all sorts of stuff. And when we get tired of fooling around with those things, we have such things as GameCubes and Nintendo 64s and Xboxes and Playstations and Wiis and all sorts of things to keep our attention. And it's amazing to me, despite all that technology, you still hear kids say, oh, I'm bored. You're what? You're bored? Are you kidding me? Blows my mind. I mean, you've done it. Have you ever walked into a room? Maybe it's your living room. Maybe it's a kid's bedroom. Teenager. You walk in. What are you doing? Oh, nothing. He's got his cell phone up to his ear. He's got the, uh, you know, the iPod going in the background. You know, he's text messaging. He's watching the high def on the wall. And he's got his homework spread out over the, the bed. What are you doing? Nothing. I can't comprehend it. I mean, that's the kind of society that kids are being raised in today. And you can lay down a ton of money to try to capture most of that stuff to keep up with every gadget every week. I mean, I'm a gadget guy. I just like different gadgets. But you know what? You can't. You'd have to be a billionaire to be able to do that. Just it comes too quickly at us. And you know what? After you receive all those gadgets and you play with them for a little bit, after a while you tend to set them aside. Well, I mean, the iPod's cool, but, you know, they're coming out with a new one. And it ends up sitting on your desk or sitting somewhere. I mean, do you ever wonder why man-made devices and marvels fail to satisfy us? Do you ever wonder about that? Why don't they satisfy us? They're always coming out with something, but it's never satisfying. See, the reason is this, beloved. We were created by God to interact with an all-wise, all-powerful, infinitely beautiful, constantly engaging God. That's what we were created to do. We're hardwired to kind of know Him, to experience Him, to walk with Him, to enjoy Him. And when He says His name is wonderful, He's wonderful like nothing else in the entire universe is wonderful. And what that means is apart from Him, there's nothing in this world that will satisfy the deepest needs in your life. Nothing. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, well, if I just get that one more accomplishment, that one more honor, that one more experience, one more possession, one more relationship, finally, I'll be satisfied. And I won't feel this void inside me. If that's the road you're going down, I'll tell you right here today, I'll spare you a lot of time, you're always going to be disappointed. No matter what this world offers, It's always going to fall short. But it's neat to know when you know God, when you know the Savior of the world whose name is wonderful, He will satisfy the deepest needs of your life. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter if you're 80 or you're 8. It crosses all barriers. And when you stop and you think about it, You think about the wonderful God and the sacrifice that he made for us. I mean, how can you not be filled with a sense of awe, with a sense of wonder, almost with a sense of bewilderment, and finally fall at his feet and worship? 
David said it so well in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. He says, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, then he says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? See, knowing this wonderful God personally takes care of the dullness of life. Medical science attempts to add years to your life. Only Jesus Christ can add life to your years. That's why His name is called Wonderful. I pray that you know Him in that way today. Secondly, His name is Counselor. Not only is Christ wonderful, He's also a wonderful counselor. In Psalm 73, verse 24, He says, You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Did you know that even as you sit here today, God is just waiting with bated breath to give you His counsel, to give you His direction? Maybe you're, you're going through a struggle in your own soul. Maybe you don't know which direction to go. I mean, you, you can go ahead and try to figure it out on your own, but let me tell you, it's a lot easier to go to God who is an incredible counselor. Psalm 33, he promises to help us, to instruct us, and that his counsel will last. This holiday season, some will end up at the, hopefully none here in this crowd, but maybe your neighbors, maybe part of your family, who knows. They'll go down to the local bar and they'll just pour out their troubles to somebody they don't even know. Over a glass of liquor. Others in desperation will call television psychics and try to find direction for their life. Others will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on therapy or the latest prescription drugs in a search for their answers. And yet here is the almighty God, the everlasting Father, Jesus Christ, willing and able to give you all the counsel you need because he wants to direct you. See, here is a counselor who has known you from the beginning of the earth, from the foundation of the earth. He's watched your life since conception. And he knows your future intimately, as he does the past. The Bible says in the book of James that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. When's the last time you just opened up your Bible and you said, you know what, God? Speak to me. Speak to me. I need answers. The Bible is the the, the believer's user's manual of life. Someone said the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. That's good. But how often do we use it? Within these pages of God's blessed word, you'll find how to have a successful marriage. You'll find how to function in the workplace. You'll find how to strengthen your relationships, how to raise your children, how to kind of view the days and the times we live in today, how to handle depression, temptation, loneliness, how to build a value system that will bless and elevate your life for the rest of your years. That's what you'll find in this book. Everything you need to know about God is found in the pages of the Bible. Paul even wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us what to do right. It prepares us and equips us to do every good work that God has for us. His name is Counselor. Also, His name is Mighty God. Mighty God. Jesus Christ was not just a good man, beloved. He was and is the God-man. God with us. In fact, that's probably one of the primary reasons He was condemned and crucified by His accusers. They said he continually made himself equal to God. 
And he did that and because it was true. He is the mighty God with unlimited power. Now, I don't know about you, but when you talk about power, as a guy, that just kind of gives me the will. I just yeah, yeah, power. I want more power. I'm not talking, I'm just talking things like, you know, when you, oh, wow, what do you got under the hood? Isn't that the first thing we see when somebody's got a brand new car? Well, what's in that thing? What kind of power does it have? Brand new computer. Well, how fast is it? How many megahertz? How much memory do you have crammed in that thing? Man, that looks powerful. You go to the gym. Well, how many can you do? How much are you lifting? You know, it's all about the power. I mean, in my humble opinion, there's no better place to see illustration of power. And my wife can attest to this. Then the military channel. I love that channel. I just, yeah, I watch that thing too. You know, they got weapon shows. And I mean, some of the stuff they're coming out, just powerful stuff. It's all about power. And you know what? The history of mankind has been the story of discovering, using, and abusing power. That's what it is. First there was manpower. Then there's horsepower. Then there's steam power. Now there's nuclear power. But what we have to stop, we have to look at, you know what? The thing that we're lacking in our lives today, most of all as Christians, is, is a power called willpower. Willpower. The power to control ourselves. See, the good news is we have a mighty God who wants to get involved, involved intimately into our lives, giving us the internal energy to do what He wants us to do and to be all that He wants us to be. Sounds like a commercial for the army, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be real here for a second. Have you ever found it difficult to be a Christian? Just on a daily basis. I mean, hopefully I'm not the only one here that feels that way. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to be a Christian, just to be a Christian. I mean, it's got incredible blessings, don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's hard. It's hard to resist temptation sometimes. It's, it's hard to go that extra mile we're called to do. It's hard to forgive and return kindness when someone attacks you personally. It's hard to continue to be consistent day after day after day in reading God's Word and spending time with Him in prayer. That's hard. It's difficult for me anyway. So it's good to know that we have an almighty God who will give you the power that you need to to live the life that he called you to live. He's not going to call you to something and say, okay, you're on your own. Have fun. (laughs) Nobody could do what I'm asking you to do. But you know what? He's not that kind of a God. The matter of fact is that you cannot live this Christian life in your own strength, the Bible says. No one can. But Jesus Christ is the mighty God and He lives within us and He helps us to follow and to live the life He called us to live. That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Another translation of that same verse reads this, It is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve His purpose. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I mean, you could could all be struggling with a myriad of things. Maybe you've tried to quit smoking. You just can't. Our president-elect's trying to quit smoking because the White House is a no-smoking zone thanks to uh, Senator Clinton. So he's trying. Or maybe you got a drinking problem. Or maybe you have some drug issues that keep just creeping back and you can't seem to deal with it. I mean, the day and age we lived in, it wouldn't wouldn't be wrong to say maybe there's some here who are hooked on pornography. And somehow they just can't break free from that bondage. 
See, you need to know what you need to do is get on your knees before a holy God and say, God, you know what? I cannot do this on my own. I can't do it. I need your help. I need your power in my life. I've tried and I've failed time and time again. And you know what? The one whose name is Mighty God is there to help you through that. Not only that, but his name is also Everlasting Father. The name of Jesus reminds us that we will indeed live forever with him. Everlasting. That there's hope beyond the grave. Some of us here, maybe the hope of a heavenly father or an everlasting father touches our heart. It, it resonates some way with us because maybe either we never had an earthly father or maybe our experience with our earthly father was shortened somehow. I know myself, you know, I lost my mother at the age of three. I lost my dad at the age of seven. I had a family of nine to take care of me. But I mean, I often think of what of what of the the, the 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 sole child, the one child, and both parents pass away. Who do they have? The state. Maybe you've come from a family where your parents have split up, or your mom or dad has abandoned one or the other, or whatever, and you have just kind of a hole there. You need to know that there's an everlasting Father who's there for you. 24-7. Also, his name is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I mean, we all long for peace within. In the day and age we live in, all the storms around us, everything that's going on. I mean, we live in turbulent times. Even in our own nation's history, it's probably one of the worst times that we could live in. I mean, it's, it's, it, don't get me wrong, it's not as bad as, you know, before they had, you know, electricity and all that stuff. But I'm just saying, economically and in so many different ways. I mean, we're in two wars. Uh, we have a constant threat of terrorism on the homeland. There's violent crime all around us. I mean, you don't even have to go outside of Redwood City to experience that. We have it happening right around us here in neighborhoods. There's a looming financial crisis. Now, I don't want to get you upset, but, you know, that's the reality. That's what it is. It's unsettling. It's disturbing. And yet here we are at the season when we celebrate the arrival of the Prince of Peace. And I think what we need to do is we need to stop and we need to recall the, the message that the angels gave so many years ago when he arrived. And the message was this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So you look around the world and you say, yeah, well, the Prince of Peace, where's the peace? I mean, we're on two wars in two different countries. I mean, look at the finances. Everybody's distraught over everything. I don't see any peace. And I think what we have to do is we have to stop and we have to remember what that verse says. What did the angels say? They said, peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. I mean, it's kind of obvious. The reason we don't have peace around us is because we're not pleasing God. It's because we have a sinful temperament and we're, we have a bent to do the wrong thing. And that's the turmoil that's all around us in this society. But the good news, good news is, is that we can know the Prince of Peace that God's Word talks about. And not only that, God promises you personal peace. I mean, think if I had a little bottle up here and I said, hey, you know what? If you come up here and take a drink of this, you'll have peace for the rest of your life. Just total internal peace. No matter what you're going to go through, no matter what you're going to experience, you'll just have this peace inside you. I mean, there'd be a line a mile long here to get a sip of that stuff. Well, we're talking about the Prince of Peace here. And in Philippians, we read this earlier, but in, in, in chapter uh, uh, 4, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He's done. 
And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can comprehend or understand. Understand His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I mean, how practical can you get? Do you want peace? The Bible tells you it's just laying there for you to just take it through Christ. You get that kind of peace through Him, not through a pill bottle, not through this or that. But you can have that kind of peace right now if you want it. You cry out to Him, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Show me that I need you. Help me to understand this thing called salvation that you're offering me through your son, Jesus Christ. I don't, it doesn't really all add up to me yet, but God, I'm willing. He'll answer that prayer. So the names of Christ describe really how he can meet our every needed, every different aspect of our life. But also, it says in Isaiah, not only does it give the description of his names, but often in the Old Testament passages, even within one verse, you'll have something that's said in the beginning of the verse, and then think of it as a big valley of time. And the last half of the verse doesn't happen to over here. That's what we have in Isaiah chapter 9. Because he says, basically, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. Well, that happened. But then it goes on and it talks about the government shall be upon his shoulders. See, the first part of that verse was fulfilled when Jesus was born to Mary in that Bethlehem stable on the first Christmas night. But the next part of that verse, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. I mean, for over 2,000 years, believers have been waiting and longing for the return of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of that verse. The government is not yet on his shoulders, but it will be. That's the promise. Isaiah 9, 7 says, The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. See, the Bible speaks of a time, a coming day, when Christ himself will return to earth and he will establish a kingdom here for a 1,000 years. And that's going to be the end of waste and corruption in government that we see going on all around us. There'll be no more global terrorism. There'll be no more wars or rumors of wars. Jesus, God's Son, will reign righteously as the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's going to happen. But you have to understand, before He could ever take the government upon His shoulders... Before he could ever do that, he first, while he was here on earth, he first had to take a cross upon his shoulders. And he had to take that cross and he had to die upon it. That's the way God laid the plan out. And in Jesus' day, they were looking for a Messiah to overthrow the Roman government and everything. And when he started talking about dying on a cross, most of the Jews just lost it. They're like, what? You're the Messiah? Yeah, right. You're going to die on a Roman cross? I don't think so. They didn't understand what he was doing. But it wasn't the Lord's mission to overthrow Rome at that time. See, in God's eternal plan of ages, the first thing he had to do was to give up his life and to die on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. The mission of salvation and redemption was indicated back at a time when the wise men even arrived from the east. Remember, they brought gifts to the the newborn king. We don't know how many there were, but there were three gifts. You remember them? Gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. I mean, you know, I was reading this this last week and I thought, these are kind of odd gifts to bring to a baby. I mean, you know... Just a, a child, a young child, that, that's just kind of different. I mean, I would never think of giving, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to my grandchildren this Christmas. I just wouldn't do it. They'd it, it, look at it, what's this, you know? Just kind of weird. I mean, why would, you know, why didn't they bring like a stuffed camel or something, you know? I mean, that would have been something that the kid could have related to. But here, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, they were symbolic gifts. They bro- brought gold because they understood through God's special revelation to them somehow, that he would be a king. That's what that represented. They brought frankincense, or incense as we know it, 
remember those days growing up in the Catholic Church and, you know, the priest had the little thing and he'd wave it and the, the, the incense would, you know, I, I still love that smell. I don't know what it is about that smell, but it just, you know, kind of floods my mind with all this stuff. But frankincense is a form of incense because these wise men realized that he would be a priest representing us to God. And then finally, they brought myrrh. You know what myrrh is? Myrrh is an embalming fluid. That's what it is. It's embalming fluid. Isn't that a special gift to give somebody? It's kind of like giving somebody formaldehyde on their birthday. Here, I hope this comes in handy one day. (laughs) Well, that's kind of an odd gift. Merry Christmas. I hope you like the embalming fluid I got you. Hmm. But they gave Jesus myrrh because these men from the east seemed to understand through God's special revelation to them that this child would be king, priest, but he would also die for the sins of the world. And that's what that gift represented. So before Jesus could take or would take the government on his shoulders, he would first bear a cross upon his own shoulders. He would surrender his own life as a ransom for us and for our sins and for our futile, empty lives. He would do that. Here's the good news. You don't have to wait for the return of Jesus Christ to experience his rule in your life. Matter of fact, if you do, it would be too late. But you can experience it today. Because this mighty God, He wants to be your everlasting Father. He wants to show you how wonderful He is. How He counsels you. And floods your life with His peace that passes all human understanding. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be overseeing your life. Do you ever see this bumper sticker? <clears throat> it says, "It says God is my co-pilot." Do you ever see that bumper sticker on cars? I've seen that, and I often want to roll down the window and say, "Dude, you know what? You shouldn't even be in the cockpit." Because I'm thinking God is not our co-pilot. I mean, that's just ridiculous when you stop and think about it. It's kind of like we're helping God, you know. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be in control. He wants to make your life what it should be and what He desires it to be. The government of your life can be on His shoulders. It can set you free to live the life God intended for you to live from the very beginning. Stop and think about it. What's in a name? It all depends on whom that name belongs to. And if it's the name Jesus Christ, you have the greatest name in time and eternity. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I just think that we need to remember in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We can call Him Wonderful Savior, all that. We can also call Him Savior and Friend. We know that Jesus came to planet Earth. We know that He came to an obscure village in Bethlehem. But the story didn't start there. It began long ago in another time and another place. The time was eternity. The place was heaven. It's amazing. In the fullness of time, Mary supernaturally conceived in her womb the very Son of God, the Ancient of Days. He was born of a virgin. And you can know Him today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the names that You gave Your Son Lord, we thank you that he can be all that and more to us. Lord, we pray that as we embark on this holiday season, this Christmas time, 
that we wouldn't be so selfish to, to realize that this is your, your celebration. It should be all about you. But it's so easy to, to buy into all the hubbub and the shopping and all, everything. And, and those things aren't necessarily bad things. But it just seems they are when they take precedence over our relationship with you. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who has never put their faith in you. Or maybe they look at those different names and they say, you know what, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't experience God as being wonderful. I don't experience God as Prince of Peace. I don't experience God as an everlasting Father or a mighty God. And maybe you somehow got shortchanged. Maybe somehow that commitment that you made in another time, in another place, wasn't with the right motive, or maybe it didn't really take place. Because God is intimately involved in His children's lives. And each one of those names represents ways that He's involved with us. And there's no reason, there's no excuse as a truly born-again Christian, that we shouldn't think of God as being wonderful and feel the peace He gives us and know that He's an everlasting Father, mighty God, counselor. So I would, I would really pray that you would search your heart this morning. Maybe this is the first Christmas that you can really truly experience His forgiveness and His love for you. He wants you to. He's not going to force it upon you. He wants you to cry out to Him, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, show me your way. Teach me your way. I know that I can't do it on my own. He'll answer that prayer. And as Christians, we just need to recommit ourselves to the awesomeness of God. We just need to remind ourselves of how incredible You are, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name.